and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about nitrogen and specifically nitrogen stabilizers. Are they worth it on your farm and when are they most likely to pay and when are they most likely not to pay? We're going to talk about that throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com, or you can give us a call here. We are taking your phone calls throughout the show today. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute, but before we do, I guess just to kind of start you out in this nitrogen stabilizer thing, I, I, I would just say this. To go way back in time, probably 30 years ago, I just remember having a conversation with my dad about this on the farm. And he goes, Brian, why would I use a nitrogen stabilizer? If I'm going to spend an extra whatever, let's call it $5 an acre back then, he goes, why don't I just put on $5 more nitrogen and we'll call her good. Well, the problem in this day and age, as opposed to 30 years ago, is we're using far more nitrogen. Just think about how much more nitrogen we're using. It's ridiculous because our yield goals are almost triple what they were on our farm 30 years ago. I mean, we have, we've really advanced. They're definitely double. And like I say, in some cases, triple. So it's, it's crazy. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think is even bigger, and that's this, the environmental ramifications of all our choices we make on the farm and how that has an impact on every other farmer. Because I want you to think about this. How many times does it take for a misapplication to cause people to get all riled up and then all of a sudden we have a new law or regulation that impacts every single one of us? Does it take one time? Does it take 10 times? Does it take 100 times of misapplications? I mean... I, I don't know. Nobody can answer that question for sure because every situation's a little bit different. But I do know this. If we as farmers don't figure out a way to manage nitrogen as efficiently as possible and as carefully and safely as possible, then we're going to have a whole bunch of other people telling us how to farm. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want somebody else regulating how I choose to farm. Darren and I were over in Denmark, this is about 15 years ago now, and we were talking to a farmer who had a pretty small farm. I'm going to say it was, I don't remember off the top of my head, I'll have to look back at my notes, I'm going to say it was like 400 acres, okay? He had something like 50 pages worth of paperwork he had to fill out for the government before he could even turn a wheel each year documenting everything from what he was going to put on for fertilizer, what kind of tillage he was going to do, what he was going to plant, all this stuff. He had to submit all that to the government before he could do anything. Now, how would you like to be in that position? I'll tell you what, we're headed that direction right now, and I don't want to go there. I just want to do what I want to do and manage my farm how I think it's best. But part of that means we got to be really careful with nitrogen because when it converts over to nitrate, it is leachable, and that's the real problem. Nitrogen going up in the air, that's not going to hurt anything because, like, I don't know what the exact figure is, but it's something like 70% of our air is nitrogen anyway. So having a little more nitrogen in the air, that's no big deal. So I'm not worried about the loss from volatilization or denitrification. What I am worried about is the nitrogen loss 
from leaching. So when nitrate goes down and it ends up in somebody's groundwater, now we got a problem. And yes, there is a legal limit and you can have some nitrate in the water. In fact, all nitrate, or all water is going to have some degree of nitrate in there. So I'm not too worried about that part. But 10 parts per million is a drinking water standard. If we get above 10 parts per million of nitrate nitrogen, now it's no longer safe to drink according to our government. And so in the United States anyway. So we have to be careful about what we're doing because it's leachable. And then the other side of this thing is not just environmental, but why lose the money? I mean, nitrogen costs roughly a dollar a pound now, a dollar a pound. It's ridiculous. So we don't want to lose any. And if we can keep it in that ammonium form longer, ammonium is positively charged, soil is negatively charged. So if you can just keep it in the ammonium form longer until it gets used, now you're in great shape. You just don't want nitrogen converting over to nitrate. So anyway, we'll talk about nitrogen stabilizers throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, got this one from Jay over in Illinois. And he said, I'm taking 10 acres out of CRP. It's been 15 years now and it's been free to grow. So it's quite thick, hard to get to or even see the soil. So I'm planning on brush hogging and slight surface disking once the snow melts just to get through the layers and layers of organic material to get to soil. Gosh, it is really thick out there. I know I'll expose some old seeds, but I've got to get down to the soil. I plan on laying simazine down shortly thereafter, followed a few weeks later by glyphosate and 2,4-D when I start to see six inches of growth. And perhaps one last glyphosate application uh, when I broadcast, hopefully in fingers, fingers crossed. Okay, so... Simazine wait, followed wait, by glyphosate what are, and 2,4-D followed by another glyphosate. Yeah, but what are we planting? Uh, it doesn't say. Okay. Uh, so I don't know why you're doing all that. Honestly, we've taken CRP, and literally all we did is ran a strip-till machine through it, and we planted the same day So or the day after, whatever. So I'm just saying it, it's not that big a deal. I mean, if you want to give your soil some time to settle a week or whatever, fine. But you don't need to make three applications of herbicide. We got plenty of stuff that will kill the weeds in the crop. It's just, you've got to be on it quickly. You can't be messing around because we don't want growth of all these perennials to dramatically hurt our crop. But even if it hurts our crop a little bit, at least you got going, you got some more microbial activity out there with your, with your crop. Usually we talk about planting corn and then it's going to be glyphosate tolerant corn and my suggestion is always hit it really hard like the highest possible labeled rate pre-emerge with roundup and then post-emerge you're going to want to hit it a couple of times with roundup and early so you just don't want a whole bunch of regrowth so can you do all what you're talking about absolutely i just think you don't have to do that you can plan about right away well stay tuned we'll be right back It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are talking about nitrogen stabilizers. Just looking at fertilizer prices again today, and oh, nitrogen spendy. And I'm sure you're all aware of that. That nitrogen's kind of spendy. So we're thinking about that today on our show. Of how do I make sure the nitrogen that we put out in these fields sticks around long enough to make it into our crop? And nitrogen stabilizers are the main topic today. But of course, if you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are always open at eight four four. 44 Ag PhD. Let's head down to Iowa. We've got Mike with us right now. He's an agronomist down there. Mike, talking nitrogen stabilizers today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. All right, so what is your experience? I, I know in the state of Iowa, certainly a lot of talk about nitrogen and trying to keep it in place and not lose it and those kinds of things. I'm sure a lot of the farmers that you're working with are, are really curious about nitrogen stabilizers. Yeah, um, you know, with like you said, the prices and everything this fall when uh, we were planning on our nitrogen for this year's coming crop, you know, we were looking at the best options to save that dollar. So we were, stabilizers were on the topic of our minds um, with the guys I worked with. Now, when you think about stabilizers, is there a certain form of nitrogen that you say we're always using stabilizers with this form and others that you say, you know, I don't have to worry about it with, with this other form? Um, yeah, like in hydrous ammonia, uh, when we put on the fall, especially when we're going to go early, like this year with the supply issues, um, that everybody was facing, we started a little bit earlier than normal and we really wanted to make sure we were protected early on, uh, in that application. And we're always looking at options on the planner as we do a lot of two by two with the guys I deal with. Yeah, it's getting to be more popular to put nitrogen on in several different places and, and different timings. And the split application approach, uh, for a lot of growers, they say it's really helped them, and it's really helped lower the loss. How about for you? Yeah, um, we have really saw benefits from, from putting that on, uh, especially with the planter, you know, uh, having that 
get there to that V6, V8 time frame. You know, in some of our topography here in western Iowa, we can't really side dress um, due to the rolling hills. So we use the planter to kind of help split that up. And having that there a little bit longer when it when it starts uptaking more is is key for us. Yeah, there's there's a, a period of time where the corn has to have a bunch of N and yeah, we always see that, that it just goes from seemingly knee high to shoulder high overnight. And we know what kind of draw that's going to be. So talk to us about stabilizers. Which ones have you liked? Uh, is there a certain one that you've really had good success with? Um, you know, typically with my background from ag retail, um, time, we used a lot of N-serve and anhydrous, um, for many years they used N-serve, but always, Always concerned me was the the some of the corrosiveness of it and stuff like that. We always fought in surf pumps and and not that it's a bad product or anything. There's some challenges that come with it. Um, it's worked well in the past, but uh, you know we tried a new product this year from a company called Ag Explorer called Enzone GL and uh, looked at that product mainly because of uh, the diff- different way it, do- it uh, handles the nitrogen. Uh, and stabilizes it or nutrient management or nitrogen management as we call it um, you know it it's there more to protect the soil biology it's a polymer that coats onto the, the nitrogen molecule and, and latches onto a soil, so, soil molecule um, so it's there it's not really trying to inhibit anything it's just parking in a place is what they like to say and we we like it down here um, for that fact it's it's better on the soil and feel like we're going to get better investment out of our dollar with that product. Yeah, it's always good to try different ones out, and it seems like there have been a number of products that have come out over the last few years, and uh, getting getting the research done on some of those things and, and being willing to, to step out and do something just a little bit different. Uh, like you say, when you've got an issue like corrosion that you're just tired of dealing with, <laughs> it, it pays to look at some of the other things out there. Uh, and last question for you, Mike, as you're doing and as you're splitting things up, have you worked with uh, different sulfur sources as well? I'm sure you're probably doing some sulfur at the same time. Have you seen anything with the sulfur as far as giving that nitrogen a little more time? Yeah, especially on the planter. We always, you know, we're for every about nine, eight, nine pounds of nitrogen, we're putting at least a pound of sulfur on, maybe a little bit more. Um, I've always seen through the years, sulfur and the nitrogen together is way better than just nitrogen by itself. It's just, it's almost a must for us around here. Um, I always highly recommend guys to add sulfur in there uh, with their nitrogen application. Great stuff, Mike. Uh, Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, let's head down to the University of Nebraska. I got Bajesh Maharan with us right now. All right, Bajesh, you got to tell me, did I get your name right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Bajesh Maharjan. Very good. Well, Bajesh, we're talking about nitrogen stabilizers on today's program, and, and I know you get to look at a lot of this stuff. Um, what have you seen? Are nitrogen stabilizers worth it, or are they actually doing the job? I think given the cost and all that, uh, as long as we have a good active ingredient in the product you've got, and given the environmental conditions, that's what I find is major. If you have any good reason to believe uh, of potential, some environmental losses of your applied nitrogen, I think that's where I see a benefit of adding these, these stabilizers. 
I, I know talking with farmers, they're always trying to time this just right of, okay, let's get our nitrogen out there just before a rain, or let's get the nitrogen out there just before the ground's about to freeze up so we can minimize loss. But we really honestly have no control. Once we put it out in the field, we don't know what's going to come up. And, and so what you're saying is with, with the, the various environmental stresses that could be out there or the warm up that could come or the hot, dry weather that could come, uh, we, we've got some value there in putting a stabilizer out. So how, how do they actually work? How do the stabilizers actually protect that end? Right. So we see a lot in the sandy soils. Uh, where we have a lot of leaching potential, uh, then definitely, you know, if farmers don't have capability of top dressing uh, things, then then they may want to put all in one at one time, then those are the situations. Then you rather have some stabilizers so that, uh, that the nitrogen don't get converted into nitrate right away and then, you know, just, just uh, move down the profile with water. So in sandy soil, a lot of leaching potential, so that's where I see uh, adding this. Uh, I've been testing some stabilizers for our winter wheat, uh, where we we are attempting to right get some extra protein. So uh, if you kind of go out and apply nitrogen after certain stages of the wheat, then intuitively uh, it sounds common sense for me that you you put some stabilizer when you put your nitrogen in the spring, and hopefully that will provide some sustained supply of nitrogen even beyond, you know, let's say flowering stage of the weed, and thereby it will go to the protein. Um, so, yeah, so something like that, environmental conditions where you you foresee that there there's potentially a loss coming, uh, we can add stabilizer. And for crops like winter wheat, where <clears throat> we are shooting for higher protein, uh, probably these stabilizers would allow nitrogen to stay in soil for a little longer beyond flowering and help with the protein. Oh, but Josh, you're speaking my brother's language here. That's He's been so on that bandwagon for a long time. Man, we got to do whatever we can to have that nitrogen available late in the year. And oftentimes we see, like... When, when farmers are putting in winter wheat, they don't know if they're going to have a, a tremendous crop this year. They don't know if they're going to have a disaster out there. And so uh, I see so many guys being conservative on that nitrogen rate early. Uh, when you're doing your testing about late season end to, to improve protein, are you working with liquids and with dries, or do you see a, a benefit with one versus the other? Uh, you mean the stabilizer? Uh, the fertilizer, liquid fertilizer or dry fertilizer? Uh-huh. Since I do a small plot scale study, so uh, just for my own convenience, I'm doing dry fertilizer and the stabilizer cells, so I, I use the dry ones. Excellent. Yeah, there's there's just so much talk about it with this year's wheat price and what kind of potential we've got for this crop, keeping that nitrogen available late to, to get the protein that we're going for and the yield is a big, big deal. Talking to Bajesh Maharan with University of Nebraska. Bajesh, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You bet. Nice talking. We're talking about nitrogen stabilizers on today's program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Bill wants plant all day. 
The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. This is a wake-up call. For you and your field's microbiome, from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to rise and shine. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking nitrogen stabilizers today here in the Morton studio and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head back to the phone lines. we got Jeff Moon with us right now with Corteva. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, you're welcome. It's good to be with you again. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on at Corteva when it comes to nitrogen, whether it's the, the in-serve and instinct type products. And, of course, on the, the biological side, there, there's stuff going on there, too. Where do you want to start, Jeff? 
Well, uh, why don't we start with the biological one? Let's just go there first, since that's the hot new one, and, and then we can talk some end-servant instinct if we got some time. Sure. sure, sure, yeah, getting lots of questions about Utricia and potentially what that could mean for farmers that are trying to, to stretch this nitrogen budget a little bit. I mean, I don't have to tell you, Jeff, nitrogen's over a dollar a pound right now, so <laughs> anything we could do to, to maximize how our crop can do out there with the least amount of nitrogen applied is a good deal. <laughs> well, the... We, we need nitrogen to produce some corn out there, right? There's just no way around it. And, and you're right, managing that molecule can be difficult, that nutrient can be difficult. And Utricia N is a new product that we have. It's a biological product or a natural product. And it's different from some of the other nitrogen products out there in that what Utricia N does is uh, when we spray it as a foliar-applied product on the corn or really any crop that can use nitrogen, it actually, you know, sets up shop there on, on the plant. The, the, the microbes go to work, and then they harvest nitrogen from the air, and they bring that into the corn plant to be able to use. So it's a little bit different approach than, than what we've seen with some other products that might be on the market. Well, Brian was just talking to us earlier in the show about how much nitrogen is in the air. It's most of the air, so there's Correct. plenty of end up there. If we <laughs> pull a little bit of that out for the corn crop, we aren't going to miss it. We're not going to miss it. You and I aren't going to have any problems living our lives. There's, there's plenty of it out there. And uh, what, we can, what, we, what we've seen with Utricia N is, is the ability to act as kind of a supplemental nitrogen. So, you know, your growers are going to have an idea of how much nitrogen they need for the, for the yield goal they have in mind. And this might be some supplemental nitrogen on top of that. We think it's going to harvest somewhere close to 30 pounds of nitrogen out of the air um, and turn that into ammonium nitrogen within the plant. And uh, if your corn plant ends up needing more nitrogen, or, or again, you know, it could be used on a number of crops, but if, if it ends up needing some more nitrogen there, there's another source that it can grab from uh, to keep that plant healthy and, and hopefully result in some higher yields in the end as well. One of the things I like about biological type products like Utricia is that they've got a lot of utility out there and they don't have this huge uh, negative environmental concern that a lot of people have of, oh no, it's a chemical. Well, no, it's not. It's not a chemical. And uh, it's actually something that can work with a, a lot of different plants. So that's that's pretty exciting. Now, how about all that nitrogen that we're putting out there, the, the commercial fertilizer type nitrogen? Sure. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. I know guys have been talking about what the anhydrous price was since early last fall of, oh man, anything they booked super early, they're pretty happy with. Anything that they book later, they want to protect every ounce of that because it was really valuable. <laughs> yeah. And again, uh, nitrogen is hard to manage, right? Because it moves in the soil profile. So we want to protect it and keep it where it belongs. And that's what n and Instinct do. We call those our stabilizers or our maximizers. Uh, they help keep nitrogen in the soil profile where the corn plant can get at them. We all know about this nitrogen cycle that changes ammonium nitrogen over to nitrate and and serve an instinct they stop that conversion and they keep that nitrogen in that ammonium form that positive form so it can bond to the soil so it's there when the corn plant needs it it's not locking it away it's not keeping it away but it's just keeping it there in the soil profile where those roots can get at it and turn it into uh you know uh, to, to use it in the plant and all, all the various ways that it gets used and with this nitrogen, as expensive as it is, you want to make sure that you're protecting and getting the advantage of every pound that you put out there. Yeah, no doubt about that. Okay, so looking at spring applications, when we think about uh, liquid or think about urea, what's the recommendation there? So you're going to be using Instinct if you're using uh, liquid uh, nitrogen or urea. And we're treating the acre of soil, Darren, and so it's not going to vary based on the ton or the pounds or gallons of products that you use. We're treating an acre of soil. 
And so uh, with Instinct, they'll be using uh, our version called Instinct HL. Or excuse me, Instinct Next Gen. Boy, that was a that was a faux pas on my part, wasn't it? But Instinct uh, uh, Next Gen, and that goes out at 24 ounces per acre is the rate that we talk about. And then if someone wants to use that more at a side dress time, they might be able to reduce that a little bit. But 24 ounces is our standard recommendation. How about with manure? I, I know there are a lot of growers that are talking about, okay, fertilizer, commercial fertilizer really high. But you know what? That manure lagoon's already about half full. I might just dip <laughs> back into that and pull some manure out. So what, what do you do there to protect that end? Sure. So again, we can use Instinct Next Gen. Uh, that would be the formulation that we would recommend. And it can be used with manure as well. Uh, we know that manure has varying degrees of ammonium and, and nitrate, nitrogen that's already there. We can't do anything to protect that nitrate that's there, but we can keep that ammonium from converting over to nitrate for a period of time. And so there's a number of different ways folks can use this. It can go into a drag line. It can be put into a honey wagon. Um, we could mix it into the, uh, the pit or the lagoon, what, whatever uh, term you want to use there. So there's a number of different ways to go about using it, but it can be a valuable resource for making sure that 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 nitrogen from the manure is there when the corn plant needs it. How big a market is this, Jeff, when we look at nitrogen stabilizers and, and what's the trend? Is is it growing this year with high fertilizer prices? Yeah, you know, we think there's a need for, for protecting nitrogen no matter what the price, no matter what the year, but it always seems when the price goes up that there's more interest in these products. Um, but really, anytime you use a nitrogen product, you just want to make sure you're getting the most out of it and it's staying where the corn plant can get at it and not getting down into the groundwater or getting away from us because you're just wasting your money on the nitrogen at that point. Uh, but it really grabs people's attention when that, when that price is high. And so, yes, there is a lot of talk about stabilizers this year, um, more than there probably was the, the previous year or two just because of the price. Well, it's certainly a good practice to to make sure every pound of nitrogen is protected as long as it as it can be, and to help that get into the crop the best we can. Really exciting to hear about what's going on on that naturals front with Utricia. Uh, it's certainly products that farmers have heard of for a long time. Enserve and Instinct to protect the other forms of N. Uh, talking with Jeff Moon here with Corteva. Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on the show. Lots You're of information. You're welcome. Glad to visit with you. Uh, stay safe and have a good spring, everybody. You bet. You as well. All right. I'm going to come back to nitrogen stabilizers for just a second. So we talked about stabilizers a little bit earlier in the show as well, and I just said there are times when they're more likely to pay. So right now, when the nitrogen price is high, well, obviously, this is a great time. When nitrogen rates are high. So in other words, if you want to put on 200 pounds as opposed to 20 pounds, well, with the 200, you got a lot more risk. In lighter soils, when nitrogen is going to sit on top of the soil for more than a couple days, when nitrogen is applied far ahead of when it's used, when the soil pH is outside the what we would call good range of like 6.3 to 7.3, when temperatures are warm, in wetter years, and certainly when you have environmental concerns. The other big thing I would stress to you is make sure you know what you're getting because in the past... I've unfortunately talked to farmers who said, oh, yeah, I, I got this product and it's going to help me with leaching. And I go, wait a second, that product doesn't help you with leaching at all. That's just a volatilization product. What? I wondered why it was so cheap. <laughs> like, yeah, make sure you're getting the right thing. There are three different forms of loss. There's volatilization, where basically it goes up in the air. Leaching, where it goes down in the soil with rain. And then denitrification, when it sits in the soil and the soil is way too wet in a heavy soil. And eventually it denitrifies and then it goes up in the air. So you got three different forms there. Make sure you know what you're getting. 
The other thing that I'd encourage you to do, whether you're using one of these, uh, you know, a product like Utricia or a stabilizer or anything, I just encourage you to do some soil testing. Most people do not soil test for nitrogen. And I, 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 I want you to soil test. I want you to soil test for nitrogen in the fall. I want you to soil test pre-side dress as well. And here's the reason why. Because a lot of people just assume that coming out of soybeans, you have 30 or 40 pounds of nitrogen there. We've talked about it on the show a little bit over the last few months. We have some fields after soybeans where we have 140 pounds. 140 pounds after soybeans. Had I not tested, I never would have thought I was going to have that much. But I do. We have some cornfield. We have one cornfield. We have 313 pounds left from last year. 313. And this is after 200 bushel corn. Where did all the nitrogen come from? I don't know, but I don't care. I'm so glad that I tested. So what I'm trying to say here is before you start thinking that anything has great value or, oh, I did the right thing for application or whatever, test your soil because if you don't know what's actually there, how do you know what you should apply? All right, uh, we're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance 
to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, if you have a question. That's exactly what Ryan did. And uh, I'm going to give you a fertilizer application map on the back. It's a variable rate map. And it looks like they variable. He's going to give me, so they, that would be Brian. They variable, and yes. variable rated a blend. <laughs> Now that gets a little tricky, and then very uh, tricky. Then I also kind of give you a summary. Oh, by the of way, the, the reason why are. that gets tricky, why you said that variable rating a blend, is because now every one of those nutrients, you either have to put more on or you have to put less on. So that's why we like having three compartments, and we can have each one of the three compartments go variable rate. So if I want more zinc on in an area, for example, I can get more zinc on, or less potassium on in an area, I can do that. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. All right. So, uh, so Ryan said, thanks for your show. You guys have been instrumental in my young farming career. I've attached some soil tests here. Uh, this is a, an 80-acre field, and we applied fertilizer for 50 bushel soybeans. And I've run the numbers 100 times. I can't figure out how this is going to be enough by their calculations. The P and K is just crazy low, and I just can't make sense of it. They also applied hydrohume to help with potassium tie-up with high mag levels in my attempts to fix the pH. Now I plan to apply more like uh, more fields like this. Um, let's see. I plan to so apply what's, what's more the question? like with, uh, well, anyway, he wants a second opinion with the fertilizer that went out there and the soil test that you got. So first of all, with the soil test, what do you see? Where would you invest your, your dollar? And then second, if you look at the blend they used, is that what you would run with? And what would you do different? Uh, did you give me what they're doing for a blend here? Uh, down in the lower right corner, was it? On, oh, no, no, it's on the other page. The other page is the blend. Yeah, it says it oh, right at the top of the key there on the right. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, and this That's is a little of bit stuff. of, this, right. this is the fun thing for Brian and me is we have to look at lots of different soil tests from different companies and uh, fertilizer recs from different companies and so forth. So you kind of have to search around until you find the numbers you're looking for. Yeah, and sometimes I don't trust some of the stuff. So there are some labs out there that just flat out have not been good. And I'm not saying anything bad about this lab. I don't know them, never seen anything. I have no idea. But I am saying be a little bit careful with that because – yeah, some of some of the labs that we've worked with, it's it's not very good data, not consistent, and I I just I flat out don't trust it. So anyway, assuming that this data is all good, we'll go with that first. Yeah, when you start talking about phosphorus, so parts per million on phosphorus with a Malik test is only the average is nineteen. Okay, a Malik test is similar to a P two phosphorus test or a strong Bray phosphorus test. So in other words, that's not only what's available today, but that's what's what they believe will come available throughout the next growing season also. So we're counting on a lot there. And I, I'm just trying to say 19 parts per million is not much. That's only 38 pounds 
Uh, now, granted, that's of phosphorus. You got to multiply that times 2.3. So, I mean, still, you're only talking somewhere around 80 pounds, maybe, of phosphate. And and one question I often ask people is, all right, let's just say you have a bunch of phosphate or phosphorus in your soil. Your plant roots basically have to run into it in order to extract it, right? So what percent of the phosphorus that's in your soil do you expect your roots are going to run into during the course of the growing season? Remember, phosphorus doesn't move very well in soil like nitrogen does. Nitrate's moving all over the place. Sulfate moves fairly well. So nitrate, sure, at some point sooner or later, hopefully it's moving side to side, up, down, whatever, and you get some nitrate and nit nitrogen into the plant. But that's not the case with phosphorus. So what percent do you think that your roots are going to find in the soil? I will usually... I my assumption on my farm is 20%. So in other words, if I said, okay, well, this is barely enough, plus I'll figure organic matter is only 2.2, so I'm going to get like eight other pounds of phosphate, maybe at best 14 other pounds of phosphate that comes available during the course of the season. Do I really think I'm going to be able to extract 100% of that? No possible chance. There's no way. So even if, let's say your your number is 50% or 60% that you think your roots can extract from the soil, uh, there's just, there's not enough. There's not enough. On the potassium side, we have relatively light soil here. It's 10.8 for cation exchange capacity. It doesn't hold a whole lot. So in other words, the base saturation number can sound fairly good, but you're, you got to look at your parts per million or pounds per acre as the true factor. Now, Darren, I don't know that your potassium number here is right because you say your maximum is 132. You say your average is 202. Oh, is the maximum two 202? Yeah. Yeah, and the Correct. Okay, yeah, so the average is only 132 parts per million. Um, that's only 260 pounds. What, what crop were we going for here? What was our yield goal? 50 bushel soybeans. Okay, look, soybeans don't respond as well to applied fertilizer as corn does in part because of the root mass and, and salt content and everything else. So I really like building my soil up for soybeans rather than applying a whole bunch at the last minute for soybeans. I think you'll have better luck that way. But, I mean, this is relatively light soil, so your, your ground is never going to hold everything you need for nitrate, sulfate, boron, some of these nutrients, and even to some degree potassium in a year where you get a lot of rain. So am I putting more potassium on than, okay, so here was this thing, three, uh, 3, 10, 37, and then it was two sulfur, one zinc. Um, so all I'm getting at here is you're not putting on a lot of phosphorus. The potassium, it might be okay, but it's a variable rate. So in some areas, you're you're not even getting the 37 on. So I just think you're you're a little on the low side. But I would say this, with potassium and sulfur, I might put some of those on in season. So I, I think you'd probably be ahead. You just do this. Do, do the program they're recommending. And then I'd probably come in season with a little bit more potassium. I still think you're a little low on the phosphorus side, but build it more when you get to the corn end of things. So there are a lot of ways to handle fertilizer. And there are two things I want you to think about too. What Number one, what's going to make the most money this year? And number two, what's going to make the most money in the long term? So with the phosphorus, if you put on a bunch of phosphorus, it's not going to pay this year. But will it pay next year and the year after and the year after? Probably. But this year is not the best year to build soil fertility levels. So for me, I'm probably going to do not a whole lot different than what you got here. I might bump it a little bit. 
But then I'm going to do in season some some K and sulfur. I think that'll absolutely help you in season. So then you've got it out there in those lighter soils about more about the time you need it. And then eventually when you get to a year, let's call it in a couple years, when fertilizer prices go back down, I'd start building the soil up a little bit more if you own the ground. Because, I mean, you got a lot of nutrient levels here that to me are really low. You're at one part per million on copper. That's way too low. Boron, you're at a quarter pound or quarter part per million. That's way too low. Uh, even manganese, you're at 50 five parts per million, which is not bad, but you know, I might want to build that just a little bit more on zinc. You're at, uh, looks like 1.9, you know, that's a little bit on the low side. I mean, almost every single nutrient here is pretty low. I hate to say it other than like iron and calcium. Oh, and magnesium. Magnesium looks pretty good too. All right. That's all I got. So I, yeah, it was a, it was a long explanation, <laughs> long talk. But well, there are a few things to talk about, and it was a big question. Anyway, go ahead. All right, uh, get this one in from Andrea up in North Dakota. She said, first of all, thank you for holding your seminars. Our two sons are in their twenties, attended your tiling and corn seminars this year, and we're farming up in North Dakota. And each of the boys are farming now too. They were beyond happy that they attended your seminars. We've been mulling around the idea of tiling, and through your seminars, you've given them the knowledge on how to get started, as well as the desire to do it. When you talked about the what you talked about the corn seminar was also valuable and affirmed some of the things that we're already doing on our farm. Uh, can't thank you enough for all the education. Our oldest son listens to you often, has great faith in what you say and do. So please keep up the good work and thank you for your hospitality at your workshops. Hey, let me say on the tiling thing too, we talk so passionately about it because it has literally transformed our farm. We didn't need pattern tile in every field or anything like that, but we always had areas where we really struggled, especially with soybeans. Soybeans are the worst when it comes to handling wet soils because they have tiny root mass. They have, on average, one-fifth the root mass of corn. So if you choke out even a few of those roots, you're in terrible shape. And then you also kill a lot of the microbes that can help create nitrogen for the plant. So anyway, having good drainage, super, super important. Stay tuned. We'll get to more of your questions right after this. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. 
Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got an email here from Ben, and see, I don't see where Ben's from, but he, he oh, Southern Iowa. And he said, I took some one-acre grids on a small field that is my nemesis, and I had a Malik 3 analysis done. I'm in a corn-soybean rotation, rotating to soybeans next, shooting for 60 bushel average, and trying to balance my soils out. So I came up with my plan. I'm just curious what you think of my plan, and then you can look at my test and and, uh, let me know if you see anything differently. Okay, so let me just give you his plan real quick. It's to broadcast MAP, or 11.52.0, along with potash, 0060, this spring. He wants to get on the phosphorus side each zone up to 22 parts per million, so he says that's average of 55 pounds per acre. Um. I don't know how we get to 55 because when I do the math, I'm going to multiply, assuming we're talking phosphorus. Yeah, we're talking phosphorus. So you have to multiply times two. So I, I'm assuming this is a six-inch soil test. You didn't say anything different that this wasn't a six-inch soil test, did it, Darren? No. Okay. So 22, I multiply that times two. So I'm at 44, and then I multiply that times 2.3. So if I take 44 times 2.3, that is right at 100, 101 pounds of phosphate so anyway oh i see where he's going he multiplied the 22 times 2.3 that's how he got to that so that's 55 um yeah that's well anyway the the it's he didn't get it converted over to, to pounds per acre of phosphate but nevertheless so if you're if you're at 101 pounds per acre of phosphate and he said 220 parts per million he's trying to get up to on the K. I mean, neither of those levels are bad. So in a year like this, where the fertilizer price stinks, that's probably all I would do too. I don't have any big issue with that. 
the the thing is though long term you got to get those levels up higher it, it, the the reason why this field is your nemesis is cuz you got no fertility there the copper is at 0.8 the boron's at 0.4 the sulfur is at 8 um, the potassium is only at 2.2% or sorry that's the highest uh, the average is 1.8%. I, I mean, it's just, stuff's really low. So I, all I'm saying here is uh, you, you got to build that up over time. And and uh, again, this year is not the year to do it. So yeah, I, I don't have any big issue with that plan. Oh, the other thing that he does say is manganese, and I haven't mentioned manganese yet. So his manganese averages, and this is on a Malik 3 test? You did say Malik 3, right? Yep. Whew. This says 3.6 pounds per acre on manganese. Um, I like to see 25 pounds as a minimum. So that'd be 50 parts per million. So if you actually, if this is right, and and you get, and I got the right data here, let me just, yeah, 3.6 pounds, that's what it says. Um, you, you have like no manganese out there. He's talking about putting out uh, a manganese product that's 15, that, that give him 1.2 pounds of manganese per acre. So I'll just say long term, I would look at doing a manganese sulfate type product. Yes, in the short term, just do what you're going to do, whatever, it's fine. But it's, you're just, you're really low. You got to get that built up at some point over time. We talk a lot about micronutrients here in the show because they are actually very, very important. It's just, you don't need big quantities. However, manganese, you need quite a bit. Like I said, a, a malic 3 manganese test at a bare minimum, I want to see 50 parts per million. A lot of our data in corn and soybeans is showing we should probably get to 60 for decent yields and, and more for the really good yields. So you got a ways to go. That's that's one that really needs building, at least over time. And I know it's a little discouraging when I you hear me say, well, you're low on this and you're low on that and you're low on that and you're low on that. But it's the truth. You are and at some point, if you own the ground, just bite the bullet and have it over with. So like on our farm, last year was the year. It was the fall of 2020. And fertilizer prices were at a 15-year low. And we also, at the same time, had really dry weather conditions. So we had at least an extra month in the fall beyond what we normally do. It was amazing. So we just kept putting on more and more and more and more fertilizer. The trucks that showed up at our yard, it was unbelievable. But we got it done. It was cheap. And that was the time to do it. And it's going to happen again. It's probably it's probably not going to happen this fall, but uh, but sooner or later, fertilizer prices will get cheap again. Load her up when you own the ground. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, get one on wheat here. This one comes in from Craig. He said, "All right, guys, uh, we're talking hey, about." Let me, oh. I'm sorry. Let me let me go back to to one thing here too that I haven't mentioned, and I we had this same type of question a little bit earlier. I'm great with doing a little bit of liquid. At planting time, it's just for soybeans, you got to be super careful. You can't do anything in furrow, or if you do, it's got to be really slight. You could do something two by two. So in corn, you can do a little more in furrow. You can do a fair amount two by two. So when you have really low soil tests, then you have even more need for that liquid fertilizer at planting time. We often say that use dry, use a dry product to build the soil test levels. Use a liquid product to feed the plant in the spring. We're using liquid fertilizer on every crop that we raise in the spring. It pays. Just keep the rate relatively low, use a low salt product, and you'll be happy. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no problem. Let's head to the next question. This is Craig in New York, and he said, uh, just following up, 
I had a previous question about using prepare pre-emerge herbicide in wheat. You said it may be best to apply after planting in my situation. My question is, how many days after planting do I have to wait to apply prepare without harming the wheat? Anytime. There's no problem. Whereas on the other hand, Zidua is a group 15. Anthem Flex has that same active ingredient in it along with AIM. So what I'm trying to say here is Zidua is a group 15. So if you want to use Zidua or Anthem Flex, with that, you have to wait until the wheat has germinated and the shoot is pointed upward. And as long as you've got that, then you're safe to apply Zidua or Anthem Flex. Prepare, you don't have that worry. So prepare, you can spray at any time before you plant, after you plant, or even early post-emergence. So the difference between Prepare and Everest 3.0, Everest 3.0 has the exact same active ingredient. It's just got a, a good crop safener, so it's safer when you use Everest 3.0 post-emerge. So anyway, there's maybe a little more explanation than you wanted, but that, that's that's what I can tell you. All right, thanks for the question. I got this one from Jordan over in Bulgaria, and he said, Guys, got a weed control question for you here. Uh, just to give you an update, our soils are no-till, and they're pretty heavy, 20 to 30 CEC. We get fairly low rainfall, 15 to 20 inches annually in this area, pH around 6 to 7. By the end of February, my ground will be thawed out, and I can start doing things out in the field. And I'm looking for some pre-plant or pre-emerge weed control for my clear field sunflowers. The registered products that we can use in our country are Valor, which is only labeled up to one ounce, Prowl, and Dual Magnum, Dual 2 Magnum. So he said, what would be your recommendations for the pre's uh, in this All spot? I was thinking about using a combination <laughs> of Valor and Prowl. However, Definitely. I'm concerned with the 30-day restriction on the U.S. label for use pre-planted sunflowers. I know. I, I, Valor is, I, I don't understand why Spartan isn't labeled there. So, but whatever. Sulfentrazone. Sulfentrazone. Yeah. That's Sulfentrazone the product to use. the product that we like to use. Yes, because then you can use a high rate. Because uh, honestly, Valor, yes, you should be spraying it early. And if you only use an ounce and you spray it a while before you plant, well, there isn't even any left to give any residual. So now all you've got left is Prowl. So honestly, I'd probably do a combination of all three, the Valor, the Prowl, the Dual, and I'd hope for the best with the Valor that doesn't hurt my, my sunflowers because you're correct it could. It would concern me if I was spraying Valor right at planting time in sunflowers, even at the one ounce rate. So how I would probably use it is I probably wouldn't till it in. That would hopefully make it a little bit safer. But anyway, it, yeah, it stinks. That's just not the best situation. So what we do here in the U.S. and I would rec what I would recommend here is Prowl Plus sulfentrazone and sulfentrazone at a high rate and prowl at a high rate and then you've got fairly decent crop safety and real good weed control the problem in sunflowers whether it's your country or ours we don't have great post-emerge options so you can talk about this clear field deal sure you can spray an emmy post-emerge but like uh, beyond here in our country same thing as raptor and very similar to pursuit but it's not going to kill any of the ALS-resistant weeds. So I don't know how much problem you have with that, but we have a disaster here with ALS-resistant water hemp, kochia, mare's tail, and a few other weeds that we will often see in sunflowers. Hey, thanks for the question, Jordan. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.